Welcome to episode seven of the Leaders in Learning podcast series, a product of the Collaborating, Learning, and Adapting team at the U.S. Agency for International Development. My name is Piers Bocock, and I'm the chief of party of USAID's Knowledge Management and Learning Contract, also known as LEARN. And I have the good fortune, as always, of being able to host this podcast with my colleague and friend, Stacy Young, a senior learning advisor in the Office of Learning Evaluation and Research in USAID's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning, PPL, and team lead for USAID's CLA team. Hi, Piers. Hi, Stacy. I can't believe we're at the end of this series. I know. It's been so much fun. I wanted to keep going on. Maybe we'll have to leave them with a cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about episode seven, this uh, series finale. Over the course of this series, we've sought to address a number of key learning questions related to the value of systematic, intentional, and resourced organizational learning and knowledge management to improve development outcomes. In the very first episode, we gave an overview of the podcast series. We talked about our theory of change and our own learning agenda questions, as well as a little bit of background on Stacy and, and my journey to becoming leaders in learning. In episode two, we asked the question, why does learning matter in international development? In episode three, we asked, what is the role of evidence and data in organizational learning efforts? Episode four, we asked what aspects of an organization's culture contribute to its learning capacity. And in episode five, we asked what is the role of formal and informal leadership in creating a learning organization? And then in our most recent episode, episode six, we asked how organizations are integrating intentional learning into their day-to-day work. It was quite a lot, wasn't it, Stacy? It was, and yet not nearly enough. <laughs> So in this episode, the series finale, we hear from some of our thought leader contributors again about the keys to the future of organizational learning and development. So today, we're going to hear clips from four of our leaders in learning that respond in various ways to three different themes that emerged in our conversations with them related to this topic. They are Gwen Hines, until recently the Director for International Relations at DFID, Carrie Albright, the Chief of Research Facilitation and Knowledge Management at UNICEF, Tom Sinclair of CGAP, funded by the MasterCard Foundation and housed at the World Bank, and Tony Pryor, a Senior Advisor in USAID's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning. The first set of clips that we're going to listen to, Stacy, focus on collaborating. The second set of clips focus on learning. Wait, I bet I can guess the third. Go for it. (laughs) Adapting. (laughs) Adapting it is. Of course. So let's dive into our first set of clips. The first voice you will hear is Carrie Albright. The second will be Tom Sinclair. The third, Gwen Hines. And the fourth, Tony Pryor. Let's have a listen to what they say about collaboration and the future of learning in development. I think my magic wand, it would be that collectively we've managed to um, to form some sort of informal or maybe even formal strategic alliance that recognizes the importance of evidence lesson learning in professional development. Um, that we maybe learn some of the, the lessons that have come out of things like March for Science. 
I think we're all working in the uh, on similar things and um, and again if we can learn from each other without having to try it ourselves and put it out there and um, I think the exponential learning is, is something that will feed back on itself. I would say it's very high but it's even higher if we do it collaboratively. So in the same way as when we're talking about fast-tracking progress on a global goal around quality outcomes on education, it's always much better if we do that together rather than try and do it independently. So the Learn for Dev network, the conference we have tomorrow, every week, frankly, we're phoned by other donors, other organisations saying, hey, we're struggling with this. Do you want to work together? I think success comes when you know, more and more when we have a conference about a problem, about solutions, people are building, learning, collaboration, this really key point, and adaptation into that discussion. Mm -hmm. And it requires, as you say, people to understand there's a return. It requires a new approach. We had to shift our procurement processes to allow more adaptive programming. Sure, we did too. What I really enjoyed about that contract with you was also that's where I first got introduced to the facilitative approach in the whole microenterprise world, which actually now has impacted a lot of aid. Mm -hmm. And so I feel over the last 15 years, whatever it is, this growth of knowledge management and the growth of facilitation and the facilitative approach has gone hand in hand, and that's actually pretty exciting. All right, so Stacy, you know, in, in re-listening to these clips, what jumped out at me is the first two are talking very sort of aspirationally, um, but positively about kind of the no-brainer of this, that we have to work together. There are a number of donors um, looking at this, and, and it's important to note that Gwen was uh, director for uh, external engagement for DFID, and Tom Sinclair was speaking from sort of the perspective of, of the World Bank, saying we've got to work together. And, um, and then Gwen is talking about um, sort of the processes even in how the normal way we do things, conferences, but actually making them collaborative. And, and Tony um, talking about a more facilitative approach that, you know, has been emerging over the last decade and a half that has really uh, helped towards that. So um, I'm curious about your thoughts and impressions on these clips. Yeah, it was nice to hear these again. And, um, you know, especially, peers in the context of the work that you and I have been doing with DFID around establishing a donor network on organizational learning, just to hear, again, everybody enthusing around the idea, which at, at the same time that we're enthusiastic, as you say, it's a no-brainer, that really we ought to be working together on these because, as Tom says, we're all working on the same thing. You know, everybody is saying, hey, we're, we're grappling with the same issues. Uh, why don't we learn from each other, as as Gwen was saying? And I think that's that's absolutely true. I also liked how Tony brought in the facilitation approach that he and I encountered um, when we were working together on knowledge management in microenterprise development, and how you know, in in invoking that approach, he's bringing us back to why we need to build learning into our programs, not just have it as 
some sort of parallel work stream that an organization engages in, but really building it into how we do development and the power of that and the facilitation approach in, in market development coming out of microenterprise and, you know, a sort of looking ahead to what, what could that look like? What could that help us accomplish in development terms if we were able to build the same sort of facilitative approach into the other work that we're doing. And I think that we're seeing more and more of a call for this and even more of that kind of, you know, problem-driven, iterative, adaptive approach that also uh, comes together with a shifting relationship with our intended beneficiaries where, where we're partnering better and we are using approaches to development that inherently leverage collaboration with them and inherently take advantage of continuous learning so that we can work adaptively. Yeah, and I think that this was, as you said, this was Tony talking about an approach that you guys were adopting a while ago. Yeah, 15 years or so. Yeah, and and seeing it um, now become the no-brainer when it wasn't necessarily 15 years ago. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And and to, to hear other funders talking about doing it together, Tom talking about the exponential growth potential of our learning capacity, Yeah, the conversations that we've had with Diffit and others about uh, collaborating on the ground in a location where we're all working. Again, it, it makes total sense. It's not always easy, but one as long as one is intentional about it, there's a real opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I liked also just sort of on the process piece that um, Gwen was talking about having to shift their approach to uh, funding mechanisms to build more adaptability into that. Because there, what she's getting at is building these approaches into the operational functions of a development organization and how that is a, a key aspect of how we build continuous learning and adaptive management into our development programs, um, but it's really hard. And so again, that notion that we should be learning from each other because we all say, yes, we need to do this, and this particular funding mechanism piece is a common obstacle. So again, you know, just looking at this as a place where we don't all have to invent the solution ourselves. We yeah. really need to be working from what each other is learning around this. And I think the, the donor alliance potential that Gwen talked about and that you mentioned, um, you know, really big kudos to Diffid to bringing together uh, a whole range Absolutely. of donors and, mm-hmm. and partners to address the challenges as well. And I think it's really exciting, as you said, that there is this um, nascent group that is looking to identify these these challenges and potential approaches together. Yes, it's very exciting. And I'm so grateful for their leadership. So let's hope that um, we continue to see an uptick in more intentional, systematic, and resourced collaboration. Um, Let's move on to the second set of clips. First, we'll hear from Gwen Hines. Then we'll hear from Carrie Albright. Third will be Tom Sinclair. And finally, Tony Pryor. And we will hear clips talking about the future of learning. So um, we're in the process of, in the middle of shifting how DFID does performance management 
And in future, there's going to be an even strong focus on how people behave, not just what they achieve. So we're making sure to put collaboration, learning, use of evidence at the heart of that so we can really enforce it. So it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. I don't promise we get it right every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've also, like you, worked with uh, country offices who want to champion this. Mm -hmm. So Rwanda's been one of our early adopters. Um, So working closely with them. And we have this tool called called What Good Looks Like, very similar to your tools. I mean, personally, I 100% agree. Um, I think my experience from, from nearly everywhere I've worked actually is that for better or worse, you have strong, charismatic champions who, um, who can carry through ideas maybe others have tried um, anywhere um, through, through their, their charisma, through their experience, through their knowledge, they, they can open to But I think... Um, you know, I mean, that was partly another question around the, the power of champions. I, I think those people are really important. They're the ones that are actually going out and implementing across the organisation. But no matter how effective they are, if you don't have um, a leader at the very top who recognises the value of that, who, who gives space, time, budget um, to enable those sorts of things to happen, then inevitably you're only going to be median to good effective rather than really attempt to achieve transformational change. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I think really inspirational or or visionary leaders from the very top um, have a responsibility, I would say, to, we all talk about failure fest and learning, not just PR spin, learning from um, things that don't work as well as things that do, but that's actually a very frightening thing for a lot of people who, um, who you know, fear that they may lose their jobs, especially in the, in the results agenda era. Um, and so I think you have a responsibility to sort of model that behavior so that others also feel that it's okay to open up and not just cherry pick the learning that they're sharing. I, I would say that adaptive management is probably something um, that the definition is people fight over the at least the edges of it. But um, it's, it's um, implementing in a way that you're not implementing to what you've set your five-year objective to be, right? That you're constantly um, learning from the data that's coming in, be it um, mo- you know, more uh, traditional monitoring data or be it you know, other ways that you're pulling in. So for example, what we're doing is we have a lot of data that's coming uh, from the site itself, learning from that and making, making changes accordingly. And so you're not implementing to a plan that's far off, you're implementing to a goal um, and constantly checking yourself against that. What my job mainly now is, is to promote communities of practice, to promote dialogue between aid staff on a variety of issues, to um, try to understand how what we've learned out in the field can be transferred to other people out in the field without having to come back to Washington for approval. And also I'm working on a subject called non-permissive environments, so places that are tough places to work, not necessarily because of violence, um, require different ways of doing business, and that implies learning between those countries, so that's what I'm interested in. So Stacy, these clips to me, 
identify elements of organizational learning programs that I would say are sort of the early adoption examples. You have um, Carrie Albright talking about leadership, and we've talked about that in previous episodes, but mm-hmm. what it takes to have that kind of transformational um, learning environment that is willing to look at the good and the bad and learn from it. Um, you have that uh, incentives element, which Gwen Hines was talking about, um, building in that behavior that they want to see at the heart of everything. And we know that um, that is easier said than done, and we haven't done it on, on the USAID side yet. Then we have um, Tom Sinclair talking about how really a reflection of what we are seeing in the monitoring, evaluation, and learning space, where we are learning from monitoring and evaluation, not just uh, checking what we said we would do uh, against targets. And then finally, this piece that I think we have seen um, a need for time and time again, that it's great that that Tony is championing, and we see him doing this, which is encouraging that mission-to-mission learning that it's not just coming from Washington to an individual mission, and he's great at that. Yeah, he's always been great at that and always been a leader in that space. Yeah, I really liked um, all of these clips, and um, I was glad that Gwen and Carrie focused in on what we call the enabling conditions in the CLA framework, that they're looking at um, at those things that you mentioned, leadership, uh, behavior, which is not something that we always talk about with respect to programmatic effectiveness, but we're finding more and more evidence that that is really, um, that there are specific behaviors that are important to learning, which in turn is important to um, program achievements and so on. Um, Time and budget. Those are critical. We put them in enabling conditions. Um, We call them resources in our framework. Uh, Every donor we talk to, I think, calls those out as really important inputs into a systemic approach that is going to yield better development outcomes because we've been doing a better job at organizational learning and collaboration and so on. I liked also that Carrie was talking about failure. I also found that important and you know we've talked about that at other times um learning from failure and i think you know what she's getting to there is what tom and tony went on to talk about which is really this fundamental shift that's taking place in how we think about development that we really are in the midst of this transition from paradigm that was all about doing more and more granular planning to try to pin down a situation and operate within it to acknowledging that actually we will never be able to fully understand the context that we work in. We will never have enough, that's in quotes, information about what's going to work in a context. And therefore, we need to not try to plan away uncertainty, but really grapple with it and um work within that in our development programs and that that entails a a really different approach that is that needs to put collaboration and organizational learning at the center and uh, especially needs to support adaptivity and so I thought you know Carrie talking about learning from failure that is that fundamental acknowledgement that 
not everything will go right. And then what we do with that is what, what Tom and Tony were, were getting into. Yeah, and I think that, that paradigm shift that you talk about this um, is, is reflected in what they're all saying, the fact that we have to look at how we behave differently, we have to look at how we learn differently, the idea of, of managing towards goals rather than a plan on paper. Right. Um, those, to me, are those intentions mm-hmm. that have the potential to start mainstreaming. Mm-hmm. And all of these are great examples of um, what I think we would like to see as integrated and mainstreamed practices throughout development programming. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, some of what they said also for me resonated with earlier clips that we've listened to. Uh, for instance, the one in which Clive Martley was talking about generosity and others in the episode talking about, for instance, humility as a really essential aspect of doing good development in this new paradigm where we are um, coming to terms with and being honest with ourselves about the limits of our own knowledge and therefore opening ourselves to new kinds of learning and, and new evidence and new ways of working so that we can make sure that we remain relevant and try to be as effective and useful as we possibly can and to know that that will always be an ongoing learning process, that we will never have achieved perfection within that. Yeah. Curiosity it was another yes, one, wasn't it? Yes. Curiosity, humility, generosity. Mm-hmm. Not things that um, are, are necessarily taught, but then, as um, I think um, Carrie Albright was saying, they're modeled. Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. With that, let us move into our third and final set of clips in which our guests share their perspectives on how to get to intentional adapting as part of their systematic and resourced learning efforts. First, you'll hear from Tom Sinclair, then Tony Pryor, then Carrie Albright, and we'll give the final word to Gwen Hines. Well, we all fail, and so I think the the va- it's really the value of acknowledging the failure and putting it out there and saying what did we learn from what that failure was. That that way we don't repeat that. Um, that way others learn from from what we've done. And and I think the I think the most valuable is failing quickly, right? Failing fast. Um, and and some people talk about failing forward. So you're moving in that in that direction. Uh, and so you then incorporate that learning quickly back into what you're doing. One of the things he said is you don't learn from abject failure. You sort of bury that. But you also don't learn from success. You learn from things that didn't quite work, that things didn't quite take off. And then if you look at the um, after-action review construct, and a guy in the Army told me, um, it's not a question of blaming you because you've already gotten blamed. That's happened a long time ago. That's not the issue here. The issue is you want to do it again, and you internally want to make things better. Not that your supervisor wants to get at you, but you internally want to get things better. But I think that is really difficult to, to get transformational change when you're doing that. Um, so just treating on one area isn't going to result in a change in culture, and, and people will often start before long-term change happens. So really trying to work and I'm looking at multiple simultaneous interventions and perspectives. Um, 
I guess thinking about it from a more of a sort of systems engineering point of view, um, looking at the various nuts and bolts mechanisms, traditional but we're deliberately building in a learning and adapting approach because it's high risk. We're trying to do new things. We want to learn as we go. So from my day job, that's going to be really important. But I think also it's picking one or two challenges, as I say, which have got all of us stumped at the moment. And let's try this. So quality education is a huge challenge. The MDG has got kids into school. How much are they learning? Not so much. Um, and I'm a very, very firm believer in education from years in the field. Alright, so, Stacey, you may be wondering why I picked these clips, so let me, uh, let me expound on that a little bit. So I think going back to something you said in our previous segment, um, we don't know what's going to happen in the places we work, nor will we ever have a true understanding of the context in which we work. So what the best that we can do is be prepared for trying things out and then being able to adapt when things don't quite work. Or, sure, if they, they fail, we learn from that as well. But I want to start with what Gwen Hines said at the end when she alluded to the fact that we, we have to be willing to take risks and to take on big challenges. Mm-hmm. That's why we're in this business. Right. And we are trying to help our partner countries to take on some of the greatest challenges there are. So then working sort of in, in reverse order, um, Carrie Albright was talking about a systems approach, not right. just, yeah. just one um, challenge at a time, but looking at the whole picture. And that's something that um, certainly in, in the economic growth sector I really appreciate about the market systems development approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we're going to look at things in, in a systemic approach, we also have to recognize that any number of factors could change the context. So how can we be best prepared for that? So being open to what isn't quite working and learning from it, as, as Tony Pryor was saying, and building in intentional... Um, tight feedback loops, which is what Tom Sinclair was talking about, Mm -hmm. those are the ways that I think the future of learning and the future of adaptive management are going to be able to demonstrate success. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Again, I loved that Carrie, uh, as you did, uh, I love that she invoked the systemic nature of this work. You know, if if we're going to be doing development systemically, then we need to we have learned uh, approach organizational learning systemically because there are so many different facets to how we operate in a developing country context that we need to match with our own approaches to how we understand evidence, how we use it, how we uh, work with others who are also operating in that context, um, the resources we bring to that, the the culture, the behaviors, all of those things have a bearing on how we're operating and how we're um, remaining nimble and um, well fit to a changing context and a changing um, base of knowledge that 
that we ground our programs in. So I was really glad that she talked about a systemic approach and that Tom and Tony talked about a really key aspect of culture, which, as, as you note, is um, learning from failure. And I love Tony's concept of, you know, learning from things that almost worked, that, you know, the near, <laughs> near misses, because uh, I think he's right about that. Um, and then finally, Gwen returning to the value proposition, which is that this is about doing better development. And that really, at the end of the day, is what it comes down to. There is no other reason to do this work except that it is essential, we have learned, uh, to making our development programs as effective as they possibly can be. Right. And to echo what Tony said, we're looking at ways to try to do things again in different places, identify things that have worked, and then adapt them. I'm pausing here for a moment just to sort of under the weight of the challenge of trying to synthesize this episode, but also the series. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think I can do it any better than what you just did without realizing it, perhaps. Can I ask you a question then? Yeah. Um, What are your central ideas about the future of organizational learning? So I think organizational learning is, we're seeing it across sectors. It's not just in international development. Yeah, that's right. As you know, one of the things that we initially thought about doing with this series was bringing in um, champions from other sectors to talk about how intentional, systematic, and resourced approaches to to learning had made a difference in their sectors. Mm -hmm. And then we made the conscious decision to start with development because that's what we do. That's where we are, yeah. (laughs) But we have begged borrowed and, and, and leveraged, I won't yes. say stolen, <laughs> from the science um, to contribute to um, the sector because it is probably one of the most difficult areas of work there is. You have dedicated people who have the opportunity to um, support our ultimate stakeholders with approaches that can help them. And so I think, and I believe, I feel very good about the future of organizational learning in our work. Mm-hmm. I really, really like this paradigm shift that we've been seeing, um, but it seems to be increasing where funders and donors and implementers are not doing the work for our end stakeholders. They are giving them the power and the capacity and the uh, inspiration and the frameworks to do it for themselves to determine their own future so to me that's exciting yeah I think you put your finger on a really essential part of that shift you know I was thinking okay how would I answer that question about what is the future of organizational learning and I came up with two things one is that piece that that we heard a little bit about today and we've heard about it in other clips as well which is that increasing infusion of organizational learning into our programs and into how we work so that that continual process that you and I have been engaged in in integrating collaborating learning and adapting into our programs and into our operations so it becomes more and more part of how we operate and what we do in developing countries but I think that other piece is also what you were just getting at which is the future of organizational learning is more 
listening to and learning from local voices, more support and facilitation of learning for and among local actors so that they become ever more effective leaders of their own development. That's where I think the future of this work lies. I, that's that's beautiful, and it comes right back to um, this point that we've been making throughout the series, that it's about the people. And I think in listening to you, my response, if I were to have done it more pithily, would have been that it's not something um, external that gets added on. It is just, it is part of how we are evaluated as uh, employees, as um, as development professionals, and it is this adaptive management approach is just how we do our work. Couldn't say it better myself. Well, um, I think we may be dancing around the fact that we don't want to say goodbye to you all <laughs> and end this series, um, but let me say thank you for listening. Let me also thank not only our contributors for today, Tom Sinclair, Tony Pryor, Carrie Albright, and Gwen Hines, but also the other leaders in learning who have contributed to this series overall, including Rob Cartridge, Chris Collison, Allison Evans, Duncan Green, Clive Martlew, and Karen Mokate. It's been a genuine pleasure. It's been great working with you, Stacy. It's been wonderful working with you, Piers. I'm really grateful, not only for this, but for our collaboration over the past three and a half years and all of the things that we uh, will continue to achieve together. Awesome. And the only reason that any of you are hearing this is because we have our intrepid podcast producer, Amy Leo, sitting here with us, who has made us sound better than we are and does <laughs> that right. every day. So thank you to you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. And thank you to USAID's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning and their Office of Learning Evaluation and Research, which has supported this series. The USAID Learning Lab podcast is a production of USAID Learn, implemented by DEXIS Consulting Group and its partner, RTI International, on behalf of USAID's Office of Learning Evaluation and Research in the Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning. The opinions in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States government. Our music is by Poddington Bear. <laughs>